Welcome to Pup in a Cup, the unedited, raw, unfiltered podcast where we discuss everything rescue-related. My name is Steven. I'm the Administrative Director of Redstone Husky Rescue. I'm here with my co-host Janelle, who is the Rescue Director of Redstone Husky Rescue. Hi. During this podcast, we enjoy with you some delicious cups of coffee, tea, and other drinks. Today, we're enjoying a fantastically smooth cup of Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. And today, we're going to talk about, well, the why of rescue. So one of the first questions that most people seem to come up to us and ask you, us is, why did we start this rescue? We hear this from adopters, fosters, just people that we meet at fundraisers. So I'd like to ask that to Janelle here. Um, so what really brought you to that point that you wanted to start doing rescue? Well, I've been in veterinary medicine since 2006. I was 16 years old at the time. Kind of grew up adopting orphaned things on the street anyway. Um, Bottle feeding, litters of kittens, things like that. And I became very dedicated to animal welfare really anywhere that I went. And as I got older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more aware of the world around me and not just within my clinical setting. Um, I found that there was a lot of suffering in the world and there was a lot of need for advocates for animal welfare. And we will discuss the difference between animal rights and animal welfare later. But I became more and more enamored with this idea of I wanted to start my own rescue. I wanted to do things the right and I wanted to do it the way that I felt like I could make the most impact and over the next 10 years it became more and more of a more solid idea. I did have a few pets that were surrendered to me um, through my clinic that kind of stoked that fire a little bit that if I hadn't stepped in those pets would have been euthanized and they went on to live very happy lives despite some uh, physical disabilities. But I just wanted to make a positive difference and a positive change and I've got connections and I have a knowledge base to kind of make things a little bit easier than it is on a standard citizen. (laughs) So you mentioned a standard citizen. So what are your specific qualifications that you have going into this? Um, As a veterinary technician, I understand a lot of communicable disease, biosecurity. I know the medications that would be needed for certain things like a lot of dogs here in Texas have a significant gastrointestinal parasite load. And so I already go into it expecting that every dog that comes through rescue is going to need to be heavily dewormed and rechecked and dewormed again. Um, And then I also have very realistic expectations of this dog is coming from this kind of situation or out of this area or in this kind of shelter. So the chances of something like parvo or distemper, which yes, we can vaccinate for, not all dogs just come vaccinated. And so there could be a significant risk with taking a dog in and putting that dog into foster care or into a population of like in a kennel environment that you'd be putting other dogs or your foster's dogs at risk for those diseases. So it's just things that I can kind of see foresight of 
but then also you have these posts on social media of uh, the general public with an outcry to save animals and to that they tag your rescue or they email your rescue or message you and say please save this creature and I look at it and I go um that dog is likely unsalvageable and if they can be saved it's going to cost thousands and thousands and thousands up into the double digits of thousands that a our rescue just cannot handle right now and b we could save countless more lives and that dog may not even pull through so I can kind of triage the cases of where we can do the most good and save the most lives. So that is a topic of a lot of discussion amongst rescue groups and different animal welfare social media pages is uh, the concept of save them all. Um, it's, it's something that people ask us all the time. They say, save this dog, save this dog, save this dog. And we're like, we if we save this dog we're going to lose 10 others and it's it's a difficult concept for people to understand that we can't save them all and so how in in kind of your opinion how does that affect the rescuer in general whenever people are constantly barraging with that this is what you need to do and this is what you have to do and if you don't save this dog you're not doing your job um interesting phrasing because there was a case that we had um and we'll probably talk about him later but uh there was a case that we had where i uh, had to make some difficult decisions and um down the lines while we were discussing taking another dog in from a shelter really we had somebody approach us that was going to honor a pledge, which people will pledge money for a dog's life to be saved out of a shelter. And then you contact them and say, hey, I got this dog out of the shelter today. Here's their picture of them in our car on the way home. And this particular person then said, well, here's this dog that's also on death row at this other shelter. And we're like, we just pulled four dogs out of Harris County. I, we don't have the capability to take another one. And her response was, and you call yourself a husky rescue not doing your job and it was like i'm sorry ma'am but how many dogs are you fostering for us and how many vet bills are you paying and that you know think that there was that but then i was also called an animal hating murderer earlier that week um and it it i took it very personally it's hard not to because my my personal pack our personal pack um and our rescue pack these dogs mean my whole world and i will do anything i can to save their lives once they're in my care but at some point the public has to pick up the slack or another rescue has to pick up where we have to leave off and when we don't have foster homes to put dogs in we cannot responsibly take in more because where do we put them we just stick them in a kennel outside and be like okay good luck it's now 30 degrees in texas which you're not used to um we can't do that and so it's it becomes a, a little bit of putting the responsibility back on the people that are demanding that we save these creatures is like okay but we can't afford to do this as a rescue are you going to help us fundraise are you going to foster this dog are you going to find it medical care because we have our resources but our resources are not limitless 
And that's really a good point. Um, a lot of people consider fostering or they, they look at fostering and they're like, oh, that's just so much work. And I, I don't know if it'll really do that much good. It's just one dog kind of concept. And it in rescue, every single foster is such a magnificent resource for these dogs. And they can make the difference between these dogs actually getting adopted or not. Now, in rescue care, we take ex extremely good care of these dogs to the extent that we are possibly able to whenever we have so many dogs in our care. But whenever they get to go into foster care, they get that very unique experience in which they're actually able to adapt to a home life the, a life that's very similar to what they would have in an adoptive home. And they learn good behaviors like uh, honing in house training, um, even just basic things such as sit and stay or don't jump up on the counter and counter surf for some of your food. Um, it's Don't <laughs> very... stand on the dining room table. <laughs> don't stand on the dining room table. Yep. <laughs> We're probably going to end up talking about Freya at some point, but... Yeah, that's I, our... We will definitely talk about her because she, she was with us for six months. That was a long time. So yeah, she she is a very special case and she'll also was a, she was a complete mountain goat. And she'll come up a lot because she was a very unique personality. So that's yeah. a name that you'll hear a lot of, I'm sure. Yeah, so whenever people consider fostering, uh, yes, you may only be able to help one dog at a time. That dog you are potentially saving its life and especially in the case of which we're pulling from shelters um a lot of times we need fosters to be able to either sometimes go to the shelter and pick up the dog for us and take that dog into their care because we don't have any space as it is to be able to take in a dog in that case, that person just saved the life of the dog by stepping up as a foster. Well, and we're not just saving the life of that dog that's exiting the shelter. You're saving the life of the dog that's coming into the shelter to fill that kennel space as well. So while you may be only housing one dog, you're not saving one life. You're saving two. And it really, it's a chain reaction of events that makes the shelter available for dogs that need them. And that's a really good point. Whenever we're talking about shelters, you know, shelters, unfortunately, they get a terrible reputation. Yeah, we hear that a lot here, especially here in Texas of like, oh, no, don't take them there. They're a kill shelter. And it's like, well, any shelter, really, any municipally funded shelter is a, quote, kill shelter. And I actually I wrote a post about this when we started working with Harris County Um because I looked at their numbers and their number of intakes was in the mid thousands and their number of euthanasias was in the double digits, the low double digits. I think it was around like 34 for the year so far. And that was in June. And, you know, yeah, they, they do have to euthanize for space at times when they are forced to, but they don't want to. It's not like they get a kick out of it. It's not mm -hmm. like they love filling up the freezer with dogs and cats. It's very hard on them. And the, I'm just going to say, disgusting comments that I see on Facebook and on Instagram of, 
I hope somebody drags you down a cold hallway and murders you if you kill this dog. Yeah. It's not okay. And that is something that, again, we will touch way more in depth on a later episode, which is like the cyberbullying and the, I'm, I mean, outright just inhuman comments that are said to animal welfare workers. Um, but there's a lot of shelters that we do work with, and not all shelters are created equally. Some don't network as well as others. Some don't have the volunteers to network. And their resources, again, like ours, are not unlimited. One really good example of that is actually our local um, community shelter, uh, Commerce Animal Shelter. They struggle every single day just to be able to have enough food to feed their dogs. Their funding, even from adoption fees, actually gets split, and most of it gets sent to the city. And that's actually true for... I think all municipally funded shelters is that the money goes to the city and the city gets to decide what to do with it. So you think you're donating or you're paying an adoption fee to the shelter. Well, those donations, if they are financial donations, then go through the city first. So if you want to donate to your shelter, I mean, the best way to do it is volunteer your time or donate supplies. Yep. It, uh, bringing them food, uh, any food, if it's unused, sealed bags, it will help them more than you know. Um, they, I know our local shelter right now is desperately asking for help with food. We ended up actually facilitating a donation through a veterinary clinic of a bunch of expired food that was still good. And we were able to donate to them over 40 bags of food. Well, when I showed up to actually deliver that food, I got to see in their food storage, they had maybe three, four bags of dog food left. And they were, they had about 15 to 20 dogs in their care. I say, I think their kennels have been full for months. Yeah. So just donating supplies alone can make a massive difference to a shelter. It can make sure that those dogs are fed, well cared for. They have the supplies they need so that way they don't have to make the decision between the quality of life of a dog and what euthanasia would actually provide them. So definitely consider supporting your local community shelters as well as your local community rescues. They definitely don't deserve the reputation they get and the outlash they get. But uh, we will touch more on that at a future episode but uh one of the topics that uh, we wanted to talk about was actually going back to the beginning again whenever we were forming this rescue we actually came across some interesting challenges now we had spent years doing research studying law um, examining how to form a nonprofit, how to go through all of that now, unfortunately, we did a lot of that research for a completely different state. Yep. So, yeah, the first uh, two years of research went into uh, how to start a rescue in Colorado. Which there's this whole element of what's called PACFA, which we'll discuss that later because it's a very Colorado unique thing that when you explain it to people that have not lived there or operated there, they kind of look at you like you're have three heads and they don't understand what the purpose of something like that would be but it's the pet animal care facilities act um and that's 
a whole, like, we could talk about that and the pros and cons of that for a good, like, 30 minutes, and we're not going to today, but that's where we started this, because we're both Colorado, well, I'm Colorado born and raised. Mm -hmm. Steven's originally from Texas. He likes to say he's from Colorado. Okay, I've spent more years in Colorado than in Texas. I'll just leave it there. you're not Colorado (laughs) born and raised. I have the the red rocks in my blood fair enough <laughs> but uh one a few of the interesting things that came up and especially starting a rescue in the time of covid of all things i'm not sure what we were thinking yeah it was a <laughs> it was kind of an interesting time to decide to step in um especially because we stepped into doing rescue right after the pandemic puppy push so we didn't even get any of the adoption fees or anything from that big push so we had to start from the ground floor and work our way up but uh what what were some of the challenges really that we encountered during formation I think one of the biggest challenges was making sure that we were following laws. And I researched for a long time when we were really talking about, you know, it was, it would have been like February, January, February, probably. Mm -hmm. Yep. um, Of like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, what laws in Texas do I need to follow? Because I was expecting to find something like PACFA. And for you know hours and hours of research really all i came up with was uh if you are a rescue you must rabies vaccinate the dog and or cat and you must spay or neuter i was like are you kidding me that's literally the only requirement yeah the bare bottom line of really what it takes to adopt out a dog and that was it and to me as you know as a veterinary technician, a lot of what I do is client education and talking about biosecurity, but also zoonotic disease. So things that dogs and cats can pass from them to a human. And so for me, it's seeing like, we're only going to, we're only going to touch on rabies. That's the only thing that we're going to talk about as far as communicable disease goes. Um, Cause I was expecting leptospirosis to be on there. Um, the GI parasites that are zoonotic, all these other things. And, uh, no, it was just rabies vaccinate and spay and neuter. And they are just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you want to save some dog? Go nuts. It's fine. Yep. It, uh, and then on my side of things, I handled most of the formation documents and making sure we got our 501c3 and et cetera. Well, the 501c3 was a little bit of an interesting oh, bit. Oh, my God. So yeah. the Rick... The regular processing time after you submit for your 501c3 is about 30 days. Now, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, a 501c3 is your nonprofit status with the federal government. So this is something that is absolutely required to be able to take donations, to be able to provide tax exemptions, to uh, not get charged sales tax at the register, different things that the government provides to make nonprofit life easier. It also means you can't qualify for grants until you actually have your nonprofit status. Well, because of COVID and all the stimulus changes and tax law changes, 
and lack of staffing, the IRS was extremely backed up with nonprofit requests since they're not necessarily considered uh, not critical. A pri- not a priority. Yeah, not a priority by any means. So it took, I want to say it was about four to five months before we finally got any reply on our nonprofit status. Now, that was not even the determination letter to tell us it was just any correspondence to tell us that they had even started working on it. Um, I ended up on a call for two hours calling the IRS just to find out what in the world was going on. And so that, that held up our rescue operations extremely because we couldn't promise anybody that their donations would be tax deductible. We couldn't reach out for grants. We couldn't uh, go on Amazon and get on Amazon Smile. Well, and certain uh, avenues for getting medical care for our dogs were cut off to us as well. And certain shelters wouldn't even work with us without our 501c3. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of a lot of avenues that were res- extremely restricted while we were working um, without our 501. Fortunately, after that, about six months of waiting, we finally got issued our 501 status and about the next two weeks of my life was just sending that letter off to everyone, Um, just everyone that had worked with us in the past that was waiting on that letter, a bunch of different shelters that we were trying to pull from. I have to say it was kind of disappointing that we didn't get an actual letter. I was really <laughs> looking forward to getting a real letter in the mail. Like, I, I also used to pay all of my bills via check before Stephen and I met, and so I'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to things like that. And I was like, really looking forward to getting an actual letter, and to this day I still check the mailbox for it. Yeah, we were actually supposed to get one, but uh, that's the IRS for you. We Maybe were... it's, it's still in the mail. Yeah, it's just somewhere. It'll be another nine months before we actually get it. <laughs> well, in the meantime, the digital one will work, but it, uh, yeah, it was definitely a process. Now, whenever we started this whole journey and we were applying for a business license and it finally got recognized by the state of Texas um, for our business name and our business. What happened about three days afterwards? Yeah, so I was working for our local university at the time and we had an outdoor event. Um, the FFA CDEs, which I didn't know were a thing before moving to Texas. People swear up and down we have them in Colorado. I believe we probably do. It's not something we make a big deal out of, but big outdoor event where I was uh, managing a large covered space full of animals for people to identify. And as we're packing up and getting ready to go, one of my coworkers looks up and she goes, oh, a stray dog. I had been wearing a slip leash around my body all day because I had dogs there in kennels for identifying breeds and I was paranoid that one was going to break loose and I was going to have to chase it down. And so I go running across the street as best as I can run and he stops to pee as I approach him and I just threw my slip leash around him. It's like, oh, now I have, now I have this dog. What am I going to do with it? 
And I, I remember that moment too, whenever you reached out to me and you're just like, Hey, I've, I've, I've got a dog. I found one and I caught it. And I remember <laughs> just this feeling of like, what do I do with it? <laughs> and my boss of all people was just like, well, what are you going to do with it? She's like, just let him go. And I was like, no, I'm not letting this dog go. This is a major street. And yeah. so- I... So chain reaction of events, we wound up having kind of an emergency board meeting where we had our, our other board member on the phone. And we were talking about, like, what what do we do this? Like, do we make this dog number one? Uh, it's not a husky, but... Um, I, <laughs> Close enough? The shelter... It was a Friday afternoon. The shelter had closed. He was going to stay with us for a couple days anyway. And Texas stray hold is only three days. That's all you get as a stray dog. Mm-hmm. And then you're put up for adoption or you're put on their euthanasia list. And so it was like by that time, his stray hold was basically going to be up. And it was just one of those, like, I guess we... Do we just do it? And we all voted yes. And that's how uh, Cooper ended up being our number one rescue for Redstone Husky Rescue. It, uh, sweetest, sweetest, sweetest dog. Like, and, I absolutely love him. And man, we, we tried for weeks to figure out who owned him, where did he come from, how did he end up here. He had been living on the street for months. He lived through that crazy blizzard that Texas ended up having on the street by himself. And multiple people had spotted him and had been feeding him and he just kind of roamed around did whatever yeah the longer that we actually started talking to people about him the more we kept on finding out more and more about how many people had tried to actually rescue this dog or pull it off the street and every single time he had ended up just ripping out of their fence or slipping a, the collar he something broke a cable yeah, he broke a cable. At one point. And then with us, he was just like, oh, there's a fence? Okay, I'll just stay here. It's fine. I'm like, all right. You're a very strange dog. You're a very strange boy. <laughs> Sweetest dog. His heart was as gold as his fur was. And he was actually a like a pit bull type lab mix. And definitely not a northern breed at all. But we also, when we were forming this organization i was like okay but we all know that i have a soft spot for other working breeds like if i see a cattle dog that needs its life saved i'm probably going to take it because we have one if i see a german shepherd or a malinois that you know has been brought into a uh, a bad situation or somebody got this dog thinking oh it'd be a really cool breed and then they wind up not understanding what they got into which as i say with a malinois sleeping at my feet um (laughs) it's like we'll take it so while our main focus is huskies and northern breeds we don't stop there yes uh we basically will step in really in any case that we can actually make a difference and have the knowledge ourselves to work with the breed and that's something that's very specific is having that knowledge of each breed because every breed has a different set of needs Mm -hmm. um they need various things out of rescue they need to be networked in certain areas they need to find very specific adopters so it's it's something that we recognize where our knowledge lies and so that's why we specifically work with huskies and working breeds i don't 
personally know how all breed rescues manage to pull it off um i'm guessing they just have a number of people that just have a wide range of experience with dogs but and i think a lot of it is that they have they have foster homes that they're like hey i have a yorkie and i know that these guys really love Yorkies and they'll take him and foster him for us and they can reach out to those people. And again, it's more of like that kind of breed mindset. I'm very much a person that if the dog has a job or is bred to need a job, I can work with them and I can help bridge the gaps of, okay, you're very destructive. How do I help focus that energy that you're not expending other places to make your behavior more desirable for a long-term placement versus dogs that are there just to kind of be there, purse dogs, lap dogs, things that don't have jobs. I don't understand them. <laughs> I will take care of them. If they happen up on an adoption and they are biting at the dog that is greeting the newly adopted dog for the first time, we will rescue you off the street and try to find your home. Um, but as far as like would it live with me for the rest of its life no yep so you know that we we had our first case cooper and we kind of had a few let's just say expectations of where we wanted to oh, go yeah. with the rescue and kind of what we wanted our first year to look like yeah um because we were kind of evaluating our capacity and kind of our idea of you know how much we get in donations and our resources and our personal resources what we could put into it um yeah so what were those initial goals let's just start there yeah so initial goal was that i was like oh we definitely won't take in more than 24 dogs for the year that's like two dogs a month and i'm talking like not count like not calendar year obviously because we opened in april, april. Um, but it was like 24 dogs for our first like full year of operation, two dogs a month, get them to take in and then adopt out. And we won't go over that. Maybe a maximum of three at one time, <laughs> because I was not expecting to be able to get donations, to get followers, to get, you know, the resources for more than that. Um, the best yeah. life plans. So what, how many dogs have we taken in this year? 67. And that is with four months left on the fiscal year. Yep. I have a problem with saying no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is one thing to consider how many dogs we took in, but there's the flip side. How many dogs have we actually been able to get into their forever homes? We have adopted um, 38, I believe, out I think we're right around 38, 39. I think we're almost to 40, which we have had a couple litters of puppies come through. That's why that number jumped so much so fast. Um, we have a litter of puppies in care right now that won't be adoptable until February of 2022. So, you know, our numbers are a little bit like not necessarily perfectly mirroring um, and do remember that uh, litter coming available in February 2022, hashtag Pups of Anarchy. Gemma and the Pups of Anarchy. Always, uh, always mark your calendar because their release date will be around there. So they are sweet, sweet, sweet dogs. We are screening for homes adorable. now. Yes, we are already screening for homes. So if you are interested in adopting... 
definitely check out check out that litter and for mama Gemma too she's yes. actually a kind of a rare find she is um an akc we have her paperwork um but she's about a year and a half old siberian husky yes sweet as can be very nice girl but uh yeah the the initial thought of oh we're only going to take 24 dogs just didn't um stick yeah it didn't pan out and it's not that i have a hard well okay it's it is that i have a hard time saying no but it's more that things just kind of happened and there was a chain reaction and people found out that we were here and people found out that we were in rural texas and we had strays coming to us as well um and we'll touch on too in a future episode about some of the differences between rescue and hoarding Yes. Um, but one of the things that really distinguished that difference of like can't say no was I, I really believe it was when we have the resources to actually be able to provide the level of care that these dogs need is really hard to say no because we know we can do it and we can do it responsibly. And there's there have been a lot of times that we have had to say no and there have been some times that because we said no that dog was euthanized and um those those suck those hurt but at the same time it means that other rescues also said no and Mm -hmm. sometimes you just you can't save them all and that save them all mentality is one a little bit unethical and two can lead to a lot of disasters and then three it's just unattainable right and that's that's really where quality of life plays in and being responsible about the decisions you make as a rescue it's i personally have had at least two or three different people approach me and say i want to start a rescue and i want to do this and you know, it's like, here's my novel. Yeah. <laughs> like... And I, I basically write this long, long, long novel. But, you know, this this podcast in particular in this episode was talking about everything that this involves. I mean, we we still have even a lot more to cover, too. But uh, it is about being responsible. It is about understanding that difference between whenever you are actually a rescue and whenever you are a Order and actually causing more harm to the dogs than you're actually doing good. And I, I, I think we should probably share some unpopular opinions. Um, you can love me or hate me for them, and I really don't care either way because my opinions are my own. But my unpopular opinion is that no dog should live in a shelter for more than a year. If it's coming up on, you know, six months that they've been there and they're just not finding placement, they're not finding foster care that dog's mental health is suffering and that's not fair that's not humane while they may still be eating and drinking and they get excited to see you they only see a human for so many minutes out of a day and that's not in my opinion humane and so when shelters do have to make the decision of euthanizing for length of stay and not necessarily behavior or health um i i support that because they're considering the emotional well-being of that animal as well i'm not sure if mine's necessarily an unpopular opinion but no dog should be an outside only dog oh you (laughs) why like really like that's what your unpopular opinion is gonna be well it it 
it's it's about a half and half because it is something that is a hot topic right now actually in texas oh yeah um especially with some of the new animal care laws coming into place and animal the welfare, hashtag welfare laws. Abbott hates dogs yes the yep. hashtag Abbott hates dogs yep. um yeah with some of the new laws coming into place with dogs not being allowed to be on chains stuck outside in the weather 24 hours a day now why i say this is an unpopular opinion is a lot of people think that this is actually an outlier they think that this is not that common or they think it is perfectly acceptable that is not true whenever janelle talks about the mental health of the dog and the length of stay it plays into the same with an outside dog outside dogs are not treated as members of the family they don't actually get that collective that pack that this is my home their home is their chain or their tether their yard and yeah chunk of plywood doghouse that's their home not the home they're actually supposed to be in and that's actually one of the reasons why in our adoption contracts it specifically states that the dog will be a member of the family the dog will not be kept outside um unattended or left on a chain or etc um and so it is something i really want to bring more awareness to that this is not a rare issue well and if you'd like to visibly see the difference of that i am going to plug our facebook page for a second if you go to our adopted dogs album she is in a pure white bi-eyed husky her name is cassie you're gonna see her before and after picture of the first picture i ever saw of her on facebook she's huddled under this little chunk of plywood with dirty water and she looks terrified of whoever's taking this picture of her she's her body posture is crouched she is tense she looks fearful and then you see her after picture she had lived with us for a few months at that time and then when she was ready to be adopted she took a small cross-country trip to her new dad out in connecticut and she met him and she was just all smiles i mean he was too but um <laughs> she's just overjoyed and happy to have a person and she was very much a very happy-go-lucky dog here with us but you s visibly see the difference of here's a dog chained to a tree and then here's a dog taking a car ride mm-hmm yeah, Cassie, such a special dog, and my God, did she open up in her time with us in mm -hmm. rescue. Like, um, another case, uh, Joey. 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 Joseph. Yep, Joey was a dog that came into us. He was, what, eight, ten months? It's eight or nine months. Eight or nine months. Um, he was a Christmas puppy that was given to an eight-year-old. Eight and the eight-year-old grew, grew bored. And stopped paying attention to the puppy and the puppy was left on a chain outside 24 hours a day in houston in houston and he was terrified terrified of everyone and everything the poor guy um the biggest way that we were actually even able to get him to open up and we mentioned we talked about freya was using one of our dogs to actually show him that humans were okay but all that time that he spent on a chain outside completely shut down his socialization ability and shut him down emotionally. And so seeing him in his new home now where he is 
I mean, it's taken time, but mm-hmm. he is now opened up. He is now with them in the main part of the house. He is loved and he's, he's cared interactive. for. And, yeah, he's interactive. I think it, that it had it been much longer, I think if he had hit that year mark of living like that, he may have been unreachable. I think yeah. we were able to get him in time that we could teach him some life skills as far as cohabitating with humans but i think he will always bear the mark of that um very unfortunate past that he had yeah so unlike our ninja turtles oh yes the ninja turtles um were a litter of puppies that came to us Uh, an animal control officer from west texas rural west texas reached out to us on social media and said hey can you take these and we had just been gifted a very, very generous donation from a local Dallas uh, foundation. And I was just like, sure, I have money for puppies. I'll do it. <laughs> Did not ask for permission on that one first. Nope. Um, just said yes. And uh, they came to us covered in feces and old residue from urine. And their nails were bleached white. And uh, they were absolutely terrified. When you looked at them, a couple of them were very fear aggressive. Those first twenty-four to oh, yeah. forty-eight hours, they didn't want to get out of their kennels. They, they didn't would want to be scream touched. if you tried to touch them. Um, two of them had collars on. One was trying to embed. The other was uh, we almost had to cut off because it was adhered to his fur with feces and in- insanely tight. It hadn't been touched yeah. while he'd been growing. Um, and s- those kiddos were about 12 13 weeks old when we got them into rescue care Mm -hmm. and uh we actually got to them just in time they all wound up going into foster care um and they really turned the corner and learned that people are actually kind of cool they have snacks (laughs) so um most of that litter actually wound up being foster fails only only two Two were not foster failed. Yep, I was just talking to a foster today um, whenever I was bringing her a couple puppies about the foster fails. And it, uh, it's always a bit of a mixed bag for us because <laughs> we absolutely love that these dogs are getting such a loving home and we they get to stay with their families. But on the other side we're losing a foster and so it's always bittersweet that Mm -hmm. uh, in that moment but we in the end can't be happier for them because it's everything that they need and everything they want um one last question that we can go over real quick is what lifestyle changes did rescue actually cause in our lives as we started this and got so big so fast well there's no uh sleeping in past 6 a.m nope anymore (laughs) we kind of didn't anyway because malinois but uh there's definitely no sleeping um all of because i i have a day job steven runs the rescue um during the day but on my time off it's rescue related and um also with the exponential growth that we had and my inability to say no and my never-ending optimism of we'll find a foster home uh we wound up with a lot of dogs living with us and 
I kept justifying it as like, oh, we'll only keep the medical cases. Um, well, there was a lot of medical cases. There was a lot of medical cases this year. We've had <laughs> six dogs with heartworm disease. We've had two amputations. Um, I'm trying to think of others that we've had. I mean, there was Lenny. Oh, Leonard. Yeah. My we, Leonard. We can talk about him more on another episode. But... And the unexpected expenses of rescue-related things and when you have to pull out all the stops, but... Yeah, it uh, it definitely changed our lives significantly to the point that, uh, you know, we both essentially work full time 70 to 80 hours a week doing this. But it really, truly is. It's a lifestyle and, and it's and it's a passion and it's a lifestyle of sacrifice due to love. And uh, it makes some of the adoptions emotionally difficult or bittersweet and it's interesting because we each attach to different dogs in different mm-hmm. ways. There's dogs that I'm like, can't kick out the door fast enough to another home. Just be like, <laughs> nope, go spread your wings and fly. And then there's dogs that, uh, Steven feels the same way. And I'm like, no, he lives with us now. It's we're his people. And it's this way forever. And Oh my goodness. That is always the question we get from people is how do you let go? And that is, a really hard topic one we could really talk about for quite some time but uh it is this is an act of love for these dogs and it i will say it's not for everyone um Mm -hmm. no matter your passion it is it is a hard change to make and it is a lot like she said a lot of sacrifices well and something that's definitely needs to be taken into consideration if you're wanting to start your own organization is you have to be willing to take on the most difficult decisions to be made of do you commit to taking a dog out of a situation that they're currently in despite any and all fallout or what's to come and then when you're in a situation of you have to be the one signing the paperwork for the euthanasia are you capable of doing that because uh we have lost a couple dogs this year Mm -hmm. um each for their different reasons and not a single time did we take that decision lightly every single euthanasia we've been involved with no matter how long we even had the dog i mean in one case we had the dog for a day every single euthanasia has been heartbreaking and it is even though we know it's the best option in that scenario for that dog it doesn't make it any easier and it's something that i hope that anybody that is looking into rescue is ready for that emotional burden but also ready for the good moments the I mean the adoptions it's you know she says that you we attach to different dogs and uh, it, it is very true and especially the ones that you attach to heavily that you know the situations that they came from seeing them get to be in their new homes and seeing them light up seeing that difference in their behavior uh, that they're happy they know they're where they're supposed to be and they have everything that they've needed i cannot tell you just how precious those moments are 
Well, and it's something that I say at the end of every post that I make begging people for money and donations is that I, I tell them, thank you for helping us save the world for one dog at a time. And it's not that we're on a mission to save the world. It's we're on a mission to save one life at a time. And for that dog, we do save the world. And we also make a huge impact on the family that adopts that dog. Um, we had an adoption that they wanted to adopt an adult dog from us and then all of a sudden we found out oh they actually wanted to adopt not only that adult dog but a puppy as well and um i'm not a huge kid person but their teenage daughter was the happiest person i think i have ever seen in my life oh, yeah. when we concluded that adoption she was out in the yard playing fetch with one of them already and just you know we changed the lives of that family and that was that's that's a large part of why I wanted to do this is because of the human animal bond. Well, we're out of time today, but if you would like to see more episodes, please check us out on www.redstonehuskyrescue.com. You dot can check org. us Oh, sorry, dot .org. And you can check us out under the podcast tab. Give us a follow. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, RSS feed, um, etc. So please give us a follow. We will have episodes coming out uh, on a fairly regular basis. Give and or take rescue chaos. Give or take rescue <laughs> chaos. Yes, please be patient with us as we do what we can for the rescue. Um, while making sure we can also get this content out to you. Um, it was a, a pleasure talking to everybody today, and I hope you have a wonderful day.